Hello, hello. This is the Aesthetic Vibes podcast and I am your host, Amy. This podcast is based around relevant and completely irrelevant topics. Sometimes the deep and meaningful and other times pretty meaningless topics. There are way too many negative vibes in the universe. So let's hang out together and spread aesthetic vibes. Come hang out with me. To today's episode where I am going back into the spooky. Well, it's kind of spooky. If anything, it probably steps into the area of scary. So this episode, I'm going to discuss stalking and then I'm going to share some real life stories of stalking. Okay, so today is a bit of a bumpy ride. So strap in and let's do this. The reason I find this topic so scary or in that spooky category is because stalking is so common And with us living online, it's becoming easier and easier for people to find us or track us down. It isn't just celebrities who are prone to stalking. It's anyone. If you are using social media apps and tagging locations, there's a likelihood that you could be tracked. The legal definition of stalking is the the act or crime of willfully and repeatedly following or harassing another person in circumstances that would cause a reasonable person to fear injury or death, especially because of express or implied threats. So broadly, it's a crime of engaging in a course of conduct directed at a person that serves no legitimate purpose and seriously alarms, annoys or intimidates that person. Stalking is often considered to be aggravated when the conduct involved also violates a restraining order that is protecting the victim. Okay, so that's the legal definition. Let's define it in normal terms. (laughs) Because legal terms are not normal. (laughs) So stalking is unwanted and or repeated surveillance by an individual or group towards another person. Stalking behaviours are interrelated and linked to harassment and intimidation. They may include following the victim in person or monitoring them. According to a 2002 report by the US National Center for Victims of Crime, virtually any unwanted contact between two people that directly or indirectly communicates a threat or places the victim in fear can be considered stalking. Although in practice, the legal standards are somewhat stricter. 13.5 million people are stalked annually in the United States, according to a 2019 study. In Australia, one in six women are stalked and one in 15 men, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics in a 2019 report. 
Stalking is particularly scary because you have little to no control over the situation. A lot of the time to stop or report the stalking, you actually have to have a long history of documented events and it needs to be meaningful enough. It's not enough for someone to create multiple profiles on a social media platform, uh, look at your content or follow you or attempt to follow you. You need substantial evidence. In New South Wales, Australia, where I'm located, stalking is in fact an offence under the Crimes, Domestic and Personal Violence Act 2007. So this legislation actually defines stalking as the following of a person about or the watching or frequenting of the vicinity of or an approach to a person's place or residence, business or work or any place that that person frequents for the purposes of any social or leisure activity. The important part here is that the stalking needs to be persistent. So what is stalking? We've got phone calls, text messages, messages on social media platforms, notes left on a car, stranger unwanted gifts being left, um, an awareness that maybe someone's following you and being continually stared at or gestured um, by another person. You may be a victim of stalking if someone is repeatedly following or spying on you, repeatedly calling your home or work, sending you unwanted emails, letters, text messages, leaving gifts for you, vandalizing your property, threatening you or someone close to you, repeatedly showing up at locations for no legitimate reason, and so on. So now we know a little bit about stalking. Let's discuss a couple of instances of stalking, some cases if you like. I'm going to talk you through three today. So the first case is Tatiana Tarasov and Prosinjit Pudar. Wow, <laughs> I'm so bad at pronouncing names. This particular case dates back to 1968 in the United States. So we've got Tatiana who um, actually lived in Brazil until the age of 14. Then after this, she moved to the United States with her family. Tatiana's parents were particularly strict with what she could and couldn't do. Uh, she was allowed to go to these folk dances if her brother drove her there and back. Prosenjit was a graduate student in the naval architecture field. And he worked as an inspector of marine structures. And in his spare time, he built these um, little mini model ship things. Like I've seen those before, but I don't think I have the patience to sit and build one. <laughs> Presinger was uh, four years Tatiana's senior. So she was 18 and then he was obviously 22. Um, and Presinger was actually born in India and left to pursue the graduate program at Berkeley. So for Prasenjit, he really struggled to fit into the Western lifestyle. He came from a very traditional environment, one where um, you know there were there were a lot of rules to transitioning to a very Western society where people were free, they were living life surrounded by music and fashion and partying. So it was a very different world for him. In 1968, the there was a folk dance on at the University of California. Berkeley's International House. And at this dance, Pro Sinjit actually saw Tatiana for the first time and he was completely transfixed by her. 
Prestigit didn't have the confidence to go and speak with Tatiana at that particular dance, um, but he did at a later folk dance that they both attended. Following this initial conversation, they actually became friends and they began seeing each other going out for dinners and going to the movies. But due to Prasenjit's traditional background and other contributing factors, he actually completely misread the situation between them. He actually thought by hanging out, they were in a romantic relationship, which just simply wasn't the case. Prasenjit even wrote a letter to his family back in India, expressing his love for Tatiana and claiming that Tatiana's family were looking to him to express his intentions in the relationship, which wasn't true. In fact, Tatiana's family didn't even know of Prasenjit. So soon after this, Tatiana's interest in the situation was decreasing. She didn't want to hang out. Um, She'd kind of gotten over it by this point and was feeling a little bit uncomfortable. But this made Prasenjit even more determined to change her mind. So he would show up at her house, wait for her at her bus stop, and then start talking to her while she waits for her bus, calling her repeatedly and so on. He genuinely felt rejected. And As a result of this, he soon fell into a deep depression, impacting his ability to function. Somehow, Prasenjit became friends with Tatiana's brother, and they actually became roommates. Prasenjit also told some of his co-workers that he wanted to blow up Tatiana's house multiple times because of how rejected he felt from her. Prasenjit had begun to record conversations he was having with Tatiana, And then later on, he would play those conversations back to himself and analyze them for comments or cues to convince himself that she was, in fact, in love with him. So after these many months of continued persuasion, Prasenjit ended up convincing Tatiana to hang out with him again, and she did. Prasenjit ended up showing Tatiana a diary he had been keeping of all of their encounters. And this, for Tatiana, was where the big red flag came out and she knew that this was a dangerous situation. She ended up saying, you know, you're crazy, leave me alone. Prasenjit eventually sought some mental health treatment under the care of a doctor by the name of Dr. Moore. The doctor was particularly concerned with the way Prasenjit referred to Tatiana. There were many occasions where the doctor actually considered whether he should be reporting Prasenjit to the police. But he was concerned with breaching the fiduciary duty between a doctor and patient. So Prasenjit in one session actually told the doctor that he'd planned to buy a gun and shoot Tatiana. The doctor asked Prasenjit for his word that he would do no such thing. And Prestinjit agreed. The doctor found this adequate. However, soon after this consultation, Prestinjit stopped attending treatment. Two months down the track, Prestinjit arrived at Tatiana's house. He knocked on the front door. When Tatiana answered the door, he asked to speak with her. She refused and said, go away. I don't want you here. Prestinjit proceeded to pull out a pellet gun and shot her in the torso So with Tatiana screaming, she actually lunged for Prasenjit. He ended up grabbing her, pulling out a 13-inch butcher's knife and stabbing her eight times. Following this, he actually walked into the house, picked up the phone, called the police and said, I killed my girlfriend. Unfortunately, Tatiana was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital. Prasenjit was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to five years in prison. Prasenjit appealed this ruling 
and the new judge agreed to release Prasenjit on the condition he would be deported back to India, which is exactly what happened. He returned to his hometown of Kolkata, married and had a child. Where is the sense of justice in this case? Five years for second degree murder and then being released and deported? There is no sense of justice in this case. The next case is Mary Storfer and Ming Sen Shui. In the 1980s, a lady by the name of Mary and her eight-year-old daughter were leaving a beauty salon when a man appeared and forced them into his car at gunpoint. The man ended up being a student from Mary's high school maths class over 15 years ago. Ming had been looking for Mary for a very long time. Ming had become obsessed with Mary. He'd not only stalked her, but her family, and he'd in fact tried to abduct her on four other occasions before this fifth successful attempt. In addition, Ming had previously broken into Mary's parents' house five years before because he thought she lived there. So once he realised she didn't, he located her at the apartment that she actually did live in with her husband and tried breaking into that on three separate occasions. So Ming held Mary and her child Beth hostage for a total of 53 days and he did terrible things to both of them over this period including sexual assault in in the most um, terrible way possible. So at this time of being captured Ming actually forced Mary to drive his car to a remote location. He then bound her and Beth's wrists and shoved them in the back of his uh, in America trunk in Australia boot. Ming then started driving the car himself and then he soon stopped because he heard Mary and Beth praying and it was too loud so he wanted to stop the car duct tape their mouths and kind of silence the noise that they were making however this was when two young boys saw something odd i.e Ming and this random car and him standing over the back of it um, obviously speaking and doing something into the boot. So one of the boys, his name uh, was Jason, he actually walked to the car to see what was going on. Before he had a chance to do or say anything, Ming grabbed him and threw him in the boot as well. Now we've got Ming and his car with three people in the boot. He takes off and drives, eventually stops and fatally hits Jason with a metal rod and then takes his body to the woods. In the 53-day ordeal, Ming began recording the assault he dished out to Mary and Beth, even instructing Mary to show him affection or he would injure Beth. On the 7th of July, Mary and Beth ended up escaping, calling the police and being rescued. Ming was tried for federal kidnapping of Mary and Beth and the murder of Jason. During one of the trials, Mary was put on the witness stand and Ming had gotten out of his chair and started coming for her he was grabbed and detained I think one of the lawyers uh, jumped on him grabbed him and then I think they obviously had the the guards if you like in the courtroom and they grabbed him as well crisis averted however in the second trial Mary again was on the witness stand this time Ming rushed at her got to her and slashed her face with a knife 
Uh, he'd managed to smuggle into the courtroom and she had to get 62 stitches on her face. Ming was convicted in both trials and received two sentences, 30 years for kidnapping and 40 years for murder. He actually became eligible for parole in 2010, um, but he hasn't been successful and he still remains in prison to date. final case is that of Rebecca Schaefer and Robert John Bardo. Robert was born in 1970 and he had a bit of a questionable upbringing being in and out of foster homes and he also had some different mental illnesses. Robert had tendencies to become obsessed with people. Sometime in 1986, Robert became obsessed with the actress Rebecca Schaefer. Rebecca was actually known for modelling and acting on a show called One Life to Live. Rebecca's breakout role, however, was in the show called My Sister Sam. And this is the time Robert's obsession started. To begin with, Robert sent her relentless fan mail. Um, She ended up responding to one of these fan letters uh, stating something along the lines of, oh, this was one of the nicest or most beautiful um, letters I've ever seen. And she signed off with love, Rebecca. This only spurred Robert on. Robert at one stage traveled to the set of the show, which was on the other side of the country and tried to gain access. Security turned him away. Um, And he tried again a month later and he returned with a knife that time and yet again security turned him away. A few months later Robert actually saw Rebecca's new movie called Class Struggle and in this movie she actually had a sex scene with a male um, and this really upset Robert. Keep this in mind because this does come up later. Robert decided he was going to head to Hollywood to track her down, her personal residence. So he jumped on a bus with a mission. On his arrival to Hollywood, Robert called Rebecca's agent and asked for her address. This obviously wasn't given out. So instead, he took a picture of her and he started walking the street asking people if they knew her address Um, and I think there's a report from one of the ladies who he actually approached on the street who said he looked absolutely insane and disheveled I think he didn't even have shoes on at one point so it was quite frightening when this guy (laughs) coming up to you with a picture going where does this person live he was not successful surprise surprise Robert and uh, instead he had another idea so he decided to go to the DMV And he ended up filling in a Form 70, which comes with a $1 cost. And at the time, this form would give you information on anyone, including where they lived. So Robert did that, fills in the form, pays the $1 and gets that information. He now knows where Rebecca lives. So with this information, he heads off to Rebecca's residence. He rings the doorbell. She comes down to the front door. She sees him. She ends up turning him away from her residence. And the first time he leaves willingly, I guess, because she kind of shuts the door in his face. However, Robert then leaves and he goes to a diner, has some food and then decides, no, I'm actually going to go back to Rebecca's house. So he goes there again, knocks on the door. She comes down and he proceeds to tell her that she's actually become another Hollywood whore because of the sex scene in that recent movie that I mentioned earlier. He then pulls out a gun, shoots her twice. 
There was a neighbour close by who heard the shots and the screams and rushed to see if Rebecca was okay. So on checking for a pulse, there was none. So she was rushed to the hospital, but it was far too late. Robert takes off on foot. The following day, Robert was found wandering in traffic on a highway, trying to get run over by a car or multiple cars. Somebody who witnessed him walking around in the traffic calls the police. The police show up and they speak with him um, and he admits everything that he's done. Robert was put on trial for murder. He claimed an unstable mental condition due to childhood trauma. Robert was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to life without parole. Soon afterwards, um, a law was actually enacted to prevent the DMV from releasing addresses and other personal information. Following that, a Californian law was passed enacting consequences for those who stalk. This is incredibly sad and tragic. All of these cases are. These are very serious and extreme cases, but the scary part is how each of them begin. It's something small, like being attracted or interested in a person or to a person. And then there's this escalation where the individual stalking doesn't appear to comprehend what they're doing. And it finally grows and grows and grows to a tragic outcome. There are so many cases on this topic, but I thought for this edition of Welcome to the Spooky Part 5, we would dive into something very real and very disturbing. So for me... This is scary because this happens and it happens regularly. As with every episode, we end on a lighter note. And boy, oh boy, do we need one today. I'm going to consider some hypothetical questions and I am going to give my responses. So the first question for me to consider, if I had to live in a TV show for one week, what show would I choose? My head automatically goes to Sex and the City, best show, favorite show, nothing can beat it. Dawson's Creek would be fun. I thoroughly enjoyed Dawson's Creek. I loved that show so much. I'm sure there's a bunch of others, but those are the first two that come to my mind. Next question. You're the sixth member of the Spice Girls. What is your spice handle? I actually ran this question past Sean and he was like, oh, I'd be trashy spice. What about you? And I was like, yeah, I'd probably be nerdy spice. <laughs> Glasses, spec spice. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so the next question is, you're the ruler of a new country. What do you call it? And for me... I would have to call it Shitsville in honour of Shits Creek. It, I just have to, right? It's just so fitting. Um, so with this country, I have to have someone write my national anthem. I got four people. So I'd, I'd give that task to Eminem because I think he'd do a great job. Dr. Dre, maybe. Tiger or potentially Post Malone. So they're my four that I would let write my national anthem for my country. And perform it. <laughs> so the next question is, of all the famous people who have passed away, who would you like to haunt you? Uh, my answer is Amy Winehouse. I just think she'd be so much fun. She'd be a hoot. She was just so talented, just so incredible, putting aside all of the addiction concerns and issues that she had. But yeah, she'd be, she'd be the one for me. You can go back in time and make something not exist. What is it? For me, this is threefold flies if you know you know 
flies are the worst. Birds, I don't see any purpose. We, we really don't need them. We don't. Um, and cockroaches, they're disgusting. I would get rid of those three because I find them unpredictable, irritating, and they just piss me off in general. There's no purpose for shit that just flies. And the last question is, if my house was on fire, what possession would you save? And it's obviously my cat, even though he's not really a possession, but I'm running to get the cat to get out of here. Uh, if it was a physical item, I collect jewellery, like rings, earrings, necklaces, bracelets. So I've got a lot. I'm sitting here in my beauty room at the moment looking at my shelves of stuff. I've got a lot. I'd also take my crystals because I also collect those. There would be hundreds of pieces of jewellery and crystals. So it better be a slow burning fire because I've got a lot of shit to pack. <laughs> That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I kind of feel weird saying enjoyed, but I hope maybe you found it informative where I talked about stalking as being one of the scariest things or spookiest things, if you like, um, for me. I hope it's made you think a little about how much information you share with others. And maybe it has uh, sparked a little thought in your mind about scaling back on posting so much online. It's definitely done that for me. Join me next episode where I am going to discuss why no one else's opinion matters as much as your own. In the meantime, let's hang out on social media. Hit me up at Aesthetic Vibes Pod. Or drop me an email at aestheticvibespodcast.outlook.com. Or you can visit my website, aestheticvibespodcast.com. Until next time, bye!